It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey everyone, welcome to our Texter Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby and I am joined today by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well. Scott Patsko joining us as well. Scott, how are you? Doing ready to go. And Doug Maurice joining us today. Uh, so Doug, welcome. Thanks for having me back. Okay, it is Texter Tuesday. So that means we go to our Football Insider uh, subscribers and we ask them to send us in questions and they drive the narrative for this entire podcast. We do all their questions. I'm going to tell you how to get involved with Football Insider a little bit later uh, so you can sign up and get that 14-day free trial started and you can get involved next week when we do this Texture Tuesday. Uh, let's get to it. The most interesting question I thought, no offense to anyone else, but the most interesting question I thought was about the one-year deals on defense, which the Browns went very heavy on uh, this offseason. And the question came from the 419 area code. With all the one-year deals on the defensive side, which of those guys, if any, has the best shot at a long-term deal with the Browns? And, and I think there are a number of, of interesting answers here. So that's why I wanted to lead with this one. Throw it out to the group. Mary Kay, do you have anybody in mind who, who could earn a long-term deal here? You know, I, I think there are a few of them that possibly could. Uh, I, I would think that, um, you know, maybe Carl Joseph, depending on how he plays. You've got Kate, uh, Kevin Johnson, uh, you know, as the, the nickel corner. Uh, you've got B.J. Goodson as the linebacker there. These guys are all on one-year deals. And is Andrew Billings is on a one-year deal, too, yeah. I think, right, isn't he? So yeah. he's another one. Uh, and, again, one of the reasons for these one-year deals, uh, one of the key reasons – is the fact that uh, they can evolve into uh, compensatory draft picks just when the Browns are going to be uh, needing to have some lower level salaries come out of the football team in like 22 and 2022. But I think those are some of the guys uh, that could possibly work into uh, longer term deals, depending on, on how they play this season. Yeah. Carl Joseph was one that, that I had in mind uh, kind of that, non-trade where Randall goes to the Raiders and uh, Carl Joseph ends up here. He's certainly a guy that I, that I had in mind, but uh, Scott, you look at the flexibility they have with these guys, but for the players, it's a chance to, to sort of earn some more money if they perform. Yeah. And I, I think Andrew Billings for me, I think uh, maybe be at the top of the list, looking at the other people they have on that interior of the defensive line and maybe the uncertainty of, of some of those people coming back next year. You know, if he plays well, if they don't want to, uh, if if if, if uh, Sheldon Richardson is somebody they want to bring back, you know, if if Larry Ogunjobi is somebody that they don't want to uh, extend, uh, you know, that these are people that Andrew Billings could step in there and you know 
we, we assume he's going to be a rotational guy, but he can end up being a starter. You know, he does well this year. So I think just the uncertainty of what's going to happen next year or the year after makes Andrew Billings maybe a, a guy to watch there. Doug, do you, do you have anybody in mind and, and thoughts on sort of how the Browns have built this defense? Yeah, I just I just wonder if they don't even want anybody to rise to the level of of earning a long-term contract because is this now a strategic thing, right? You bring in guys on one-year deals. If they play well, great, but you maybe you don't want to invest huge money at some of those positions. You get a compensatory pick out of it. And that like, well, it'd be great if somebody was was so awesome that we felt like we needed to sign them to a long-term deal. Or maybe we just go find some other guy to sign to a one-term deal, a one-year deal at that position the next year. That that you know, Mary Kay, you brought it up, the idea of, you know, we know all the guys on this roster that are gonna have to get paid. Um random kind of veteran one-year dude that you might have three or four kind of primary guys on the roster who are starters or borderline starters that are just part of that plan going forward. So you have the money to sign Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward and everybody else. And by the way, when they leave, you get a pick. So I, so maybe the answer is none of them. And like, that's great. And, and I think the, the thing to keep in mind, sorry, Mary Kay, I'll let you go here, is defensive performance can be a little bit fickle. I think we've seen that with guys before, where they come in and they're great for a year, and then the next year, maybe not so great. You know, sometimes that can be really up and down, and defensive performance can be really up and down too. So, you know, unless you're sure of a guy, you're investing a draft pick with a guy, maybe you just don't want to make that huge big money commitment on that side of the ball. Yeah, and you know, if the strategy works out and you end up with all of these compensatory picks and you're able to uh, to parlay those into some good players that you can keep at lower contracts for a longer period of time, you know, maybe this is something that you continue to do on a yearly basis. And, um, or maybe this is something where you, uh, you know, can trade some of these players for, for assets. So, you know, if, if it works out the way that it should work out, some of these guys are just role players that you can plug in. They're not necessarily superstars. A lot of them are former first round picks, which is very interesting. You know, you're kind of getting guys that were sort of, you know, having down years and needing to come back and get a one year prove it deal so that they can say, look, I, I've got this, I, I can do this job. So it's a win-win for everyone. And if it works out, if the strategy works, you know, maybe it's just something that you kind of cycle through each year. And it can be hard because if they prove it, then maybe the Browns can't afford them in the structure of the way they're going to use their salary cap. And if they don't prove it, then you probably don't want them anyway. So it's like sometimes the, the, the needle that may have to be threaded for any of these guys to get a long-term deal in Cleveland might be very narrow because they could be too good for it and also not good enough for it. But I have to think the Browns really want the majority of these guys to work out at least in some capacity, because you don't want to keep trying to, you know, you don't want to bring in three or four starters every year, you know, and have to kind of redo things from the get-go and get these guys acclimated to the system and kind of figure out if they're the right fit. Uh, or even, you know, depth. You don't want to have to rebuild the depth every year. So I, I got to believe that they want the majority of these guys to work out. I mean, unless you do. Unless you plan for that. And is that the best way to afford Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and the guys that you really prioritize is the best way to do it to admit, you know what? We're going to have like seven or eight core guys on defense or whatever, five or six. And the rest is going to be a bunch of rotating dudes and we'll get them up to speed. And 
we don't care if they don't know the system. I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing like, like maybe honestly, right. I mean, everyone's always looking for the next thing. I don't know how many teams already do something like this. I wouldn't be shocked if like that's Andrew Barry's approach. If he thinks like he found something that could actually be a plan when you have a bunch of young guys getting ready to get paid. I think the most, uh, the key aspect is the compensatory picks. I think that uh, these guys understand that they have to uh, collect and gather assets for the future. And that is a hallmark of this approach. And I think that that is probably the, uh, one of the, the top priorities after filling a hole this year is ending up with those compensatory picks uh, if you can get them and if you can swing them. So I think that's the plan. And the other thing you set up, and then we'll move on to the next question here is, like if Grant Delpit comes in and beats out Andrew Sandejo, okay, great. Or even Carl Joseph. Or if Jordan Elliott is better than Andrew Billings, okay. Fine, but you've also taken the pressure off of some of these guys to come in right away and have to contribute. There's at least a veteran in place in front of them uh, that if, you know, Delpit's not ready or Elliott's not ready, whoever's not ready, you know, at linebacker, they, they, they picked Phillips at linebacker, you know, but you have B.J. Goodson too. So, you know, there's, there's some flexibility there with whether those draft picks have to contribute right away. Uh, now, a guy who did not get a one-year deal from the Browns is uh, someone we hear a lot about. I know Mary Kay gets a lot of hey, Mary Kays about him. We get a lot of uh, text questions about him. Uh, Clay Matthews, you'd expect this from Browns fans to hear about Clay Matthews. It, it seemed like it was something that would make sense, but it, it just hasn't happened. I did a little more digging into it, and, and I'm a little leery about how he would maybe fit here. He's traditionally been a 3-4 linebacker. Uh, mostly a rusher, I think in a 4-3 scheme. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how he fits. Um, but, you know, Mary Kay, when you answer people about why Clay Matthews isn't here, what do you tell them? Well, it's got to be a scheme fit. That is the number one thing that those guys will determine because they are being very, very specific. And we've talked about that before on this podcast and in these videos, that Andrew Barry is – really being very precise with what these coaches are requesting and what they need. And, you know, they're, they're playing a four, like a four, three over defense. And if Clay Matthews doesn't really fit and have a role in that kind of a defense, then, you know, then, then they're not going to sign him. So they would have to make sure that he uh, can assimilate into that type of a scheme. And, uh, and if he doesn't, then it's not going to happen. But I think he's versatile enough and I think he's got enough leadership, enough rush ability that somehow you can try to find a, a way to make him work. And plus, maybe it's just because I'm being nostalgic and I think it would be so cool to have Clay Matthews' son here uh, that, that maybe that's one of the, the reasons why that I would be intrigued by this. But if you can get him at the right price, I also think he would be, bring tremendous leadership uh, to the linebacking room. Uh, you know, he would just sort of set a tone. He's, you know, he's been, uh, he's been to the Super Bowl. He's been... He's played in big, huge games. He's been in a great system. And I just think, uh, for my money, it makes some sense. Yeah, this reminds me of Browns fans clamoring for Ohio State players in a way. You know, they want what, they, what they're familiar with, you know. Not that Clay Matthews is a bad player, but I think Mary Kay's right. It's a scheme thing. And at this point of the offseason, I believe that they are all in on Olivier Vernon coming back and, and being the starter opposite Miles Garrett and, and you know, Whoever they get, if they add more to that defensive line on the edge, it's going to be in a backup role. It's not going to be someone to replace him. So I, I don't know if, my, if Clay Matthews is that person right now. Um, obviously, he's towards the end of his career, but 
I don't know if he's the guy you bring in as a maybe a rotational guy in that situation. I do think the thing you could you could tell Browns fans, which I think is how you phrased it, Dan, is like, we're sorry that the last 27 years have stunk so bad that you're pining for the son of a guy who played here 27 years ago. We should give you many, many, many more things to feel connected to, but we can't sign guys based on their last name. And so, you know, this guy played 10 really good years in Green Bay. One year with the Rams last year, it feels like, I mean, guys reach this point of their career of their career where like they're in like the bounce around phase, right? So that's fine. I mean, like we were just talking about a bunch of one year guys at the Browns sign. So like, it's fine. And I wrote a thing this offseason because I wanted the Browns to sign Malcolm Jenkins because I covered him at Ohio State and I thought he was cool and I thought he'd bring leadership. So, like, I understand when people feel like they have a connection to those guys. But, you know, uh, it's, it's more an indication of there's such an attachment to the past because the present has been so awful. And if the Browns had been to the playoffs six times in the last ten years, nobody would care what his last name was. And I think, you know, like I said, I kind of did a little bit, not a deep dive, but I just sort of looked at some stats, went back and kind of watched how the Rams used him a little bit last year. You know, in those three, four schemes, he has been pretty much a pure edge rusher. And so now you're bringing him into a 4-3. You know, one guy that they didn't give a one-year deal to was Adrian Claiborne. Scott, you mentioned Olivier Vernon uh, as well. So, you know, there's a couple more edge rushers. You know, I I wouldn't be opposed to it if you want to bring him in, if, it, if it's, if it's cost-effective and, and you think he can help you, that's, that's fine. But I also can see how they might look at it and say, you know, we're still running this 4-3. We don't know how many linebackers we're going to have on the field at a given time. Uh, and he didn't play a lot of coverage snaps last year either, or it really hasn't since about 2014 or 2015. It's mostly been pass rush snaps. So uh, I don't know. To me, maybe, uh, maybe that's a big, a big piece of the reason. Um, why he's not here. Does anybody else have anything to add about Clay Matthews or should we move on here? I just think that the, um, the eight sacks just last year alone, when he was still probably what, 32 years old. I just think the, that ability to get to the quarterback is, you know, it's just such a rare and coveted skill that if you thought that he could bring that kind of production, I mean, think about this. Jadavian Clowney had like three sacks last year. I think it was three, maybe three and a half. Uh, if you could bring eight sacks somehow, some way, and again, I know that it's not a perfect fit because, uh, you know, the 4-3 defense, but uh, if, if you could get him to the quarterback and get the quarterback on his back eight times next year, I think that's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the counterpoint to everything I said is that, you know, if, if he's a talented player that can get to the quarterback and make an impact, you know, why, why not take that shot? Um, you know, we'll see because he's, he's still out there and, and maybe he's one of those guys that ends up signing uh, late or maybe if an injury happens or, or something like that as well. Um, do, do, we not, do we not think the Browns have enough guys who can do that, though? It depends how they view their linebackers, I think. Right. I mean, if, if they view if they view that coming from the linebacker position is not super important then they probably do have enough guys. But after that, there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, we don't know if Sione Takitaki can be that guy. You know, you hope he can be, but, you know, he's a former defensive end, playing outside linebacker now, maybe. Um, but yeah, we're talking know. Matthews is really an edge rusher, right? I mean, like the, you said he can't really play coverage snaps. I mean, he's, if he's going to be getting after the passer, it feels like they have a decent amount invested um, in getting after the passer already, right? 
Well, theoretically, yes. Um, and we know that Miles Garrett's going to get there. Uh, Olivier Vernon has been injured his last two seasons. So he's the next best bet for getting there. Um, and now you've got Adrian Claiborne, and he should be able to give you that kind of production as well. Uh, but if you can cycle through some really good pass rushers and keep that fresh and keep that pressure on and keep that quarterback disrupted and off of his mark and hopefully even on his back and strip it out of there, um, I, I think that I would pay a premium for that. And let's not forget the Browns really upgraded their interior defensive line this offseason, and that helps, obviously, your edge rushers. And when it comes to linebacker, I think the Browns need people who can cover not necessarily linebackers who can rush the passer. You know, they had that in Jannard Avery, and they didn't see they didn't see as much value in it as they did as somebody who could follow a tight end out of the backfield. So um, if they're looking for another linebacker, I got to believe they're going to get – they want someone who can cover people. And it's probably an imperfect comparison, but, Scott, that's the name that was coming to mind for me. Is like they didn't know what to do with Jannard Avery last year. And I know the coaching staff has changed, but, like, if you didn't know what to do with him, I'm not sure they would know what to do with Clay Matthews. Again, completely different coaching staff. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that, that that would be an issue this year. I mean, if, if they found that he was a fit, if they found, if they believed that he could rush the passer to the degree that he did last year, I think that they would be able to figure out a way to get him on the field. Okay, we're going to uh, get to this question here before we take our break. We, of course, as we always do every week, have a, have a lot of questions um, about what the season is going to look like. But this one is specific to kind of the news that has been slowly coming out over the last few days, and that's that team facilities are going to start reopening on a limited basis. Uh, the NFL still wants to keep that level playing field and, and not allow coaches, not get out of this virtual program. Um, listen, I'm of the belief that if the NFL really wants to play this season, they should just plan on bagging, having players show up, bagging, having players show up to practice because then, you know, obviously you risk people getting sick, but then you also risk if people get sick, you have to shut everything down again. And then who knows? But that being said, Mary Kay, this program, this offseason program can run until what, June 26th, correct? Is this mm -hmm. the last day they could do it? Um, yep. Now, normally that's reserved for rookie stuff and some of the rookie program. Uh, but but do you think we're going to see some sort of mini camp or or OTA type situation? Well, it would have to come together very quickly for that to happen. I mean, I, I know that they would love for that to happen. I know that that's what Roger Goodell wants to happen. When he sent out uh, the the memo the other day saying that facilities could reopen partially on Tuesday, he added in there that he expects coaches to be back very soon and that he's hoping to have players back in some capacity or some amount of players back in June. Now, does that mean every state is going to be able to do that? That's the whole key here. It's got to be the level playing field. If, it, if that weren't the case, I would think 100% they would try to get players back in the facilities and try to get a mini camp going in June and let them all uh, you know, shake each other's hands, meet each other for the first time in Cleveland in some cases introduce themselves to the coaches, and then disperse and come back for training camp. It's the state thing that's going to mess this whole thing up uh, and, and pro pro probably prevent a mini camp from happening. Unless, of course, there are states that are saying, come on down or come over here, you know. Uh, so, you know, maybe there's some way to work it out that way. But I just have a feeling that, that Roger Goodell really wants to see players in the facilities in June and that ideally he would love them to have 
a weekend of practice, a mini camp, or something like that. See, Scott, if I'm the NFL, that makes me nervous to have 100 guys, 120 guys show up and like Mary Kay shaking hands, sitting next to each other, all that stuff. Obviously, there would be precautions put in place. But again, just, just to me, if I'm the NFL, this is just me, not what anybody else would do. I'd say, you know what? We're good. We don't want to risk because if, if you get a situation like a Rudy Gobert situation in June, you're going to have to shut everything down. There's no way you're starting training camps on time then. I, I just feel like the NFL has had the calendar in their favor. So why, why push that at this point? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something that's been promoted for high schools, <clears throat> at least here in Ohio, uh, at least where my kids go to school. They've talked about in the fall where you have half the kids show up for these two days, the other half of the kids show up for these two days. And you could conceivably do that with a football team. The offense is in the facility this day, the defense is in this day. That way you're not having as many people. Um, and when it comes to sports, like the OHSAA with high school sports, uh, they have some rules about off-season training. You can have four players and a coach working together at one time. You know, maybe that's how the NFL works their way back into this. You have X number of people together with a coach, and it's more like it's more like the individual drill portion of, of practices that we would often see. It's not so much contact. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people right now are looking at these sports that have, have gotten up and running, like uh, soccer in Germany. Um, they just started this week, and uh, people are going to be watching that to see how things go and see where the, where the mistakes are made and, and see what works and go from there. So I, you're right. The NFL, the calendar has been on their side and, and, you know, they're going to use as much time as they can, I think, and get as much information as they can to figure out how to ease back into this. Doug, I'm, I'm curious about your perspective, because obviously you've got the Ohio State side of it too, and they're all still trying to figure out how that's going to look. Um, obviously they, you know, all the spring stuff is gone, was long ago canceled with them, but I'm kind of curious your perspective on this from sort of what you know about what's going on at Ohio State and also, you know, your perspective with the Browns and the NFL. Yeah, I mean, college football doesn't have to worry about this kind of mini camp thing first, right? I mean, college football is more thinking about getting back. His spring football's gone, getting back together in August at some point. I, I think, it, Dan, what you said about that the calendar has been working in football's favor through all of this. Uh, to me, when you look at the guidelines that baseball has just put out and just presented in the 67 page document, I just talked about this with Joe Noga on our Cleveland baseball talk podcast. You can't high five. You can't spit. You can't take a shower. You can't hang out in the locker room together. That's baseball. <laughs> That's standing apart. This is tackling. Like I can't believe that to me, football has to wait and see like what happens in America. And it's nice what happens in the Bundesliga. Did I say that right? Is it Bunda? Yes, yes you, did. Say you did. But baseball's going to try, I think, first. It feels like maybe the NBA is going to try first. Those are obviously less contact sports than football is. Um, the idea that football would try to get anybody together to do any kind of football thing when you can watch baseball, I think baseball is a very reasonable guinea pig for American sport. And I know NASCAR and golf and some other sports are too, but that makes a lot of sense to me. And so for football to push anything, baseball seems like they're going to try to start in June, maybe have a couple, like a couple weeks of spring training type stuff in June and start baseball in July. I think football should think about watching and seeing how that goes. And the idea of getting football players together in June doesn't make sense to me. You know, and, and it's even when you just, you know, look at so many of these different sports, I mean, baseball is so vastly different uh, than football in terms of how close together the players have to be. If you're not in the dugout, I mean, when you are actually playing the game of baseball, 
there's so much natural separation there. So, you know, I, I could see, you know, that it would be possible to do that. But it is hard to wrap your brain around uh, putting all these guys on the field together. I mean, one tackle, my goodness, you've got 12 people on top of each other, right? I mean, it is the ultimate contact sport and the ultimate, ultimate, you know, just breathing all over each other and, you know, whatever, fur flying and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's just a different animal. Football is a different animal. How are they going to pull this off? I hope they can, but my goodness, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, and we're, we're going to take a break here. I'll tell everybody about Football Insider, but the other thing to remember too is, you know, not all these guys are living in Lakewood right now. <laughs> You'd be, if you call the teams in, they're flying in from all over the place. So that, that complicates things too. Um, and, and again, the NFL has that calendar on their side, at least for now. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about Football Insider, and then we'll take a couple more questions here on our Texter Tuesday. Okay, so you're hearing Texter Tuesday. How can you get involved? Well, you've got to sign up to be one of our Football Insiders. So what is Football Insider? It is our subscriber tech service, where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis Williams and me will text you throughout the day with Brown's analysis, news, uh, a breakdown of that news, anything we've got. You will get multiple texts throughout the day about the Cleveland Browns. And the really cool part is you can reply right to those texts. They come directly to us and we can reply directly to you. It cuts through the clutter of social media. This isn't a tweet reply. This is an actual text to you and only you when you reply to us and, and we can have that conversation. It's just another way to kind of access our Browns team in a unique way. We also have a daily newsletter that goes out uh, and it's got an exclusive piece of content that either goes up before it goes up on cleveland.com or maybe it never goes up on cleveland.com, but this newsletter gets texted out every single day to you. It's $3.99 a month. That's less than 14 cents a day, but you also get a 14-day free trial that you can cancel. All it takes is one text, but we've continued to see this grow, and I think the people that have gotten involved with it really, really love it. So how can you sign up? Go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click on the box on the right side of the page. It'll take you to all of our tech subscription services, so check out Football Insider there, or even easier, to start your 14-day free trial, text 216-208- 3965. Again, that 14-day free trial will get you into next week's Texter Tuesday. If you have a question for us, 216-208-3965. All right, and we're back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Texter Tuesday, and one of the topics that came up a lot was Baker Mayfield holding a, a camp in Texas. Uh, they had a number of, of players there, uh, including Richard Higgins, uh, I believe in one of his Instagram videos. I don't think his name was out there, but I thought I saw maybe Kaderil Hodge looming in the background. Uh, you know, some some of the receivers, a couple tight ends, Mary Kay, David Njoku was there. Uh, so, you know, this is good that Baker Mayfield is getting these people together to, to practice. Even if it's not the OBJs and the Jarvis Landrys of the world, it's good that he's bringing some of these guys together to practice, right? Yeah, it's really important. Uh, I did uh, for our for our Browns insiders uh, this morning. I went through about four different reasons why uh, this is a great thing that Baker Mayfield's doing, and I'm not going to go through all of them here. But I mean, just for you know, just the sheer leadership that he's showing, I think is fantastic, and I think that's important, especially when you have brought a lot of new guys onto the football team, the Jack Conklins, the Austin Hoopers, and guys like that. I think Baker is stepping up and showing that he's taking initiative during a very challenging time and saying, look this is my team and I'm going to do everything that I can 
to get us rolling and to, to spin this forward and to get us ready for the season. So that was one thing. And then just very briefly, another thing is um, just learning the terminology. I mean, they have a whole new language to learn. And this is an opportunity for them uh, to start speaking the same language, getting on the same page, getting comfortable with the new offense that they will be running. And, uh, you know, Scott, that's, that's the challenge, right? They don't have this spring program that we just talked about. They've got to get a feel for each other and learn a lot of this stuff. So, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about any of the, the distancing guidelines and things like that. That did come up in some of the, the text or questions. What can we really say about that? But that, all that yeah. stuff aside, um, it's got to be at least a little helpful that all these guys are together and, and working together physically. Yeah, I mean, you know, any familiarity helps. I mean, all those guys, you know, the, the people we've mentioned here, the Higgins, Hodge, Nujoku, guys who really need to do well <laughs> in camp to, to make sure they have the roles they want to have on this team. But, I mean, every team, well, most teams, they do things like this. I guess I would, be, I would be more excited as a fan if I knew the offensive linemen were somehow getting together, staying six feet apart, and going through their drills and, and kind of getting Jedrick Wills used to being on the left and getting him used to communicating with Joel Batonio and all these different things that an offensive line will have to do. It's, you know, it's, it's, but you're right, Mary Kay. You know, there's a leadership aspect to, to Baker doing this, um, you know, but training camp is where, where, where things are really going to ramp up. And I think it's great to take the place of an off season program that has gone away, but I don't know how much of a, a dent it's going to make when you don't have the, the main guys there, like OBJ and Landry. Yeah, I'd, I'd be more excited if OBJ and Landry were there, right? I mean, I think the Austin Hooper part of it is a big deal, obviously, right? I mean, a, a big, new, expensive guy that is going to be a huge weapon um, for Baker Mayfield. Um, and I think, Mary Kay, you, I mean, you know better than we do. I mean, I think the point you bring up about the terminology and sort of like everybody getting – it's sort of like a study group, right? I mean, you all have to learn the new offense, but – Odell and Jarvis are kind of studying on their own right now. And, and these guys have a study group together. So study groups are always fun, right? I mean, you know, that's, that's better than studying on your own. Um, but in the end, like Baker's going to be throwing a lot of passes to Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham right now. And I'm not saying they should be there. I'm not like making it a big, big deal that they're not. Um, but I, to me, it's like the idea that he and Hooper are getting to know each other a little bit. That seems like the most important thing about this to me. Yeah, I, I think that's key. Um, as far as Odell and, and Jarvis are concerned, Jarvis isn't really at that point yet where he should be participating in something like this. Uh, you know, he's still a long ways away from actually being able to do some of those kinds of things where he runs, you know, downfield and catches a pass from, from Baker Mayfield. I don't think he's uh, there yet. We know that he was supposed to be ready sometime during training camp for that type of football activity. Um, uh, Odell is coming along very, very well. I mean, he's really coming along very well. But we know that he marches to his own drummer at this time of year, and he feels like he's doing exactly what he needs to get his body the way he needs it to. But I will say, when Colt McCoy did uh, these Camp Colts back in 2011, he did three of them. So this might not be the last one. I mean, they could continue doing this, and I'm, I'm guessing that maybe they'll do another one sometime between – uh, the end of when the off-season program was supposed to end and the beginning of training camp. So there are still opportunities. 
it's got a, I think you make a good point with sort of how important it is for the guys, even though it wasn't Odell and Jarvis, it, it is important for a guy like Rashard Higgins, right? Who's back on a one-year deal making $900,000. Uh, he's he's going to have to hit the ground running in training camp and all those other receivers competing for that third spot. They're going to have to hit the ground running in training camp because uh, they're not making an impression on the coaching staff right now on the field. They're going to have to show what they can do beginning at the end of July in, in that month in August if, if they want to make this roster. Yeah, that's true. All right. I concur. (laughs) Perfect answer. All right. That'll do it for our Texter Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure you sign up for Football Insider, too, so we can get to your questions uh, next week as well. So for Doug, Scott, and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.